Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 35. Genesis, chapter 35. Interesting verses of Scripture. It's a verse of Scripture that reminds us of a place of where was very, very special in the heart and the life of Jacob. We have been studying the book of Genesis, and we're coming to the 25th chapter, I mean the 35th chapter, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the first, uh, probably the first 14 to 15 verses of Scripture of the 35th chapter. So with your Bibles open, would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's holy, infallible, and errant Word of God. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress And has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all of the foreign gods which were in their hands. And the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them on the terebinth tree. Which was by Shechem. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. Now notice what it says in verse 7. And he built an altar there. And called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Father, every one of us that who have called upon the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior has a Bethel. And we go back and we think about that place where we came to know you and experience the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how that place has been so special down through the years. Today, as we look upon these scriptures We pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit of God will manifest himself by allowing us to see some golden, wonderful nuggets of truth. Truth that will enrich us, that will convict us, and that will encourage us. 
We pray for the anointing and the filling of your Holy Spirit. And praying that Christ will be exalted in what will be said here today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I read this passage of Scripture, I could not help to think back in my life. There in Albemarle, North Carolina, which is about 30 miles east of Charlotte, there is a little small brick church out in the country of Albemarle, North Carolina. And I remember, as if it happened yesterday, I remember as an 11-year-old little boy during a revival meeting, the preacher was preaching, and the Holy Spirit of God began to tug at my heart. And I remember walking down the aisle, getting there at the altar. And I remember my mom. She came with her Bible, and she knelt beside me. And then I turned, and I, there was my Sunday school teacher knelt beside me. And there they took me on a journey called the Roman Road. And I invited the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. That was my Bethel. That place was a very special place in my life. And not only because of my salvation, but because of other events that took place. Uh, I was a teenage young man and heard that, uh, I mean, I knew that we were without a pastor and the preacher that was getting ready to come. I had three daughters and my ears began to perk up and I thought, this got to be the man of God for our church. (laughs) And there I met my wife. And not only did I meet her, we were married at that church. And not only were we married in that church, I remember that there was a time in my life that I drifted away from the Lord. And I remember also on a Thursday afternoon, I left my my job under deep conviction and I went and we had a new pastor at this time. And I remember knocking on his door. He lived in the parsonage right beside the church. And I remember as if it was yesterday. Tears coming down my cheeks. And I said, I've got to get right with God. And I remember him taking me into that little church. And also kneeling at that altar once again. And I remember surrendering my life to the Lord to become the Lord of my life. And at that very moment, I began to sense the high calling of God upon my life as calling into the ministry of the gospel. Did not understand it, did not comprehend it. But I knew that God was working in my heart. And there at that altar, I surrendered my life to the Lord and to the ministry of the gospel. 
there in that same little country church, I was ordained into the ministry. So as you can well tell, that little church has a very special place in my heart. Some of the most major events in my life took place around that altar. I was saved. I met my wife. We were married. I surrendered to the ministry of the gospel. I was ordained. And that's been 40 plus years ago when I gave my life to the surrendering of the ministry of the gospel. That was my Bethel. That was my El Bethel. And I'm sure as I was speaking that some of you were reminiscing. You had gone back to your Bethel. You remember that exact time, that exact place, that where that preacher preached, where that individual had opened up the Word of God and shared with you the Scriptures of when you came to know the Lord as your Savior. And it was it's so special. And you cherish that opportunity. Well, that's exactly what happened to Jacob here. Genesis chapter 35, you go back to verse 3 and verse 5 and 6, you'll begin to see that he came back to Bethel. You remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 28, and that was where God had allowed him to have a dream, and there he had a dream, a ladder from earth to heaven, and angels were ascending and descending, and uh, there he came to know the Lord as his Savior. That was his Bethel. It's been about 20 years now. And in those 20 years, Jacob had wandered away from the Lord. He had grown cold and weary and callous. And carnal. But God led him back to Bethel. And there you find him just rejoicing and reminiscing and once again committing his life to the Lord. God is with him. And so, really, you could title that chapter Back to Bethel. I could possibly be talking to some people here today, and there was a Bethel in your life, and there was a time that you gave your life to the Lord as your Savior, but you have grown weary and cold and complacent and even carnal, just like Jacob. And you're not serving the Lord like you should be. He is not Lord of your life like He wants to be. And you have moved away from that Bethel. Well, this morning, God is challenging you and He is encouraging you and convicting you to come back to Bethel. 
and to renew that relationship with Him and to experience all that He has in store for you. What I'd like to do this morning is to go back into this passage of Scripture and, oh, I think we can relate to it so well. And and let's just look at a couple important truths as we look at these passages of scriptures. You go back to verse 2 for a moment, and we see a life that was purged. A life that was purged. Way back to Bethel is a, is a, takes the avenue of contrition. It takes the road of confession. It goes down the boulevard of cleansing. And so, therefore, we're seeing this individual, Jacob, of allowing God to purge his life and to become that great man that God wanted him to become even at that very first moment and that very first experience there at Bethel. But you notice something that Jacob had to do. And the same thing that you and I have to do. That if we're ever going to go back to Bethel and ever experience the full fellowship of God. I remember that Thursday evening, that afternoon, when my pastor and I were around that altar, when I was recommitting myself to the Lord. I was trying to bargain with God. I would say, God, that if you would relieve this burden, I would do this, or I would do that. And God says, no bargain. Either all or not at all. Until finally I came to the point and I came to the place and said, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running. And I want to give my life totally, completely to the Lordship of Christ. Now I want you to understand that wasn't easy. It was with tears. It was with brokenness. It was with te- it was with contrition. But you'll notice here in verse two that what Jacob had to do, he had to put away his false gods. It says in verse two, and Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. The very first thing they had to do was to get rid of their false gods. Now, we live in a modern day world today. And we think false gods are idolatry, little statues, little figurines. Has nothing to do with me. Well, my friend, it has everything to do with you. The Bible says 
there in verse 4. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. See, there was idolatry in my life when I was away from the Lord because I had false gods in my life. Pleasure was the number one goal in my life. My philosophy was to live and let live. And therefore, I found myself in the surroundings of the world doing things that a Christian, a child of God, should never be a part of. And I look back upon it and so ashamed of that. But I had to come to a point of willing to put away those false gods and to confess it and to rid myself from it. And that's why I said it wasn't easy. Because the world has, will have a grip on you if you're not careful. He, it won't let you loose freely. And there, my friend, it can be a number of things. It can be possessions. There's a lot of people today live for possessions. Bigger houses, newer cars. And their philosophy is live and let live. Feels good, do it. And, and, and what's happening, God's began to raise up, be raised up in your life, and you're serving those false gods, and you're giving your allegiance to them. I'm reminded of what Martin Luther said, he said, whatever you make the most of is your God. And that is so true. Layman Strauss made a great statement too. He says, idolatry is anything that relegates God into the background. Anything that puts God second. It could be your own children. It could be your own family. Anything. I, you say, Pastor, you're getting ready to meddle here. Well, yes, I am. If we're not careful, and there's not a thing in the world wrong with sports. But if you're not careful, you allow sports to become a God in your life. We have, we want to see our children to succeed in life. And if they have a talent in baseball or basketball or or football or something, and if we're not careful, we put all of our energy in that and Next thing you know, it's taking the place of church, it's taking the place of your worship, it's taking the place of your obedience to the Lord. And you don't even realize it. 
It's a good thing. But a good thing is a bad thing when it comes between you and God. Put away your false gods, he says. But then you go a step further. And you notice that he goes on and not only puts away false gods, but he's putting off filthy garments. Look what he says in verse 2. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Now, what in the world is he talking about? A garment that Jacob is referring to is an outer garment, a poncho type of garment. And all this was was symbolism. Changing the garment of the outward to allow the inward to be exposed. In other words, he was not only cleaning out his life, he was cleaning up his life. Possibly there's habits, there's traits that you have developed while you have been away from your Bethel. And those habits and those traits is keeping you away from the fellowship of a holy God. He says, put off those garments. Take away those garments. I remember reading a story a number of years ago about a gangster member by the name of Billy Cohen. You may recognize that name or you may not. It's been a number of years ago. But he was involved in the mafia. And Billy Cohen had went to a crusade in Los Angeles where Billy Graham was preaching. And while he was Billy Graham was preaching, there was a layman there that knew Billy Cohen. His name was Bill Jones. And after one particular night of the crusade, Bill Jones took the Bible... And he showed him through the scriptures of how he, this guy could be saved. And so the guy prayed a sinner's prayer. Bill Jones was a personal friend of Billy Graham. And so Billy Cohen wanted to meet Billy Graham. And so they flew from Los Angeles later on to New York where Billy Graham was at. Billy Cohen wanted to have a picture made with Billy Graham. Well, Billy Graham did not want to have a picture made with a gangster. And so he refused. Billy Cohen, later on, went back to his old lifestyle. And back to the mobs that he was hanging around and the involvement that he had with all the uh, mobs during that particular day. Bill Jones went up to him and he said, you prayed a sinner's prayer. You're supposed to be a, a changed person. You're supposed to 
be a Christian, you should put those things away. He said, you didn't tell me that Christianity meant that I had to give up my old friends and my old lifestyle. If that's what Christianity is all about, I won't have anything to do with it. I've seen people come down to the altar and they'll pray and and cry crocodile tears. Oh, God, deliver me. And all they want is God to just get them out of the mess that they're in. They're not interested in denying self and taking up the cross and following the Lord Jesus. That's the way Billy Cohen was. Wasn't interested in that. But my friend, I want you to understand that if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a price. And that price is that you put away your false gods and you take off your old garments. And you take on the garment of righteousness. Live a life that is holy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jacob not only recognized that his life needed to be purged, but because that God did a work in his life, you'll see so well that he recognized that the Lord was present. We see that the Lord was present. Look what he says in verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again. In verse 13, and then God went up from him in the place where he walked with him. Jacob returned back to Bethel. He was willing to take away and put away those old false gods. He was willing to take away and put away those old garments. And he finds himself once again experiencing the joy of the Lord like he experienced 20 years earlier, coming and being refreshed and rejoined into the fellowship of the fold. Notice what he says there in verse 6 and 7. You can't help not to notice his rededication. This guy here, he rededicated his life. It says, so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Once again, this was such a, a awesome opportunity and experience that Jacob had. The Bible says he built an altar. Once again, he bows before the Lord. Once again, he acknowledges God as being the Lord and master of his life. But I think it's interesting, it says in verse 7, that he not named this place Bethel like he did in verse 28, but he renames it El Bethel. El means God. 
Bethel means the house of God. And so what he was saying, I have come to rededicate myself to the God of the house of God. This has become personal. And I rededicate my life, my life to him. And I want to commit myself from this point on that God would be the Lord and master of my life. Oh, he's giving his life completely, totally to the Lord. That's what rededication is. My friend, there are some people can't rededicate something that they've never dedicated. There has to be a Bethel before there can be an El Bethel. But oh, if you've had that Bethel experience and you're not growing in the grace of the Almighty God, if you're not experiencing the joys that is unspeakable, it's because... There's sin, there's false gods, there's dirty garments. But I can assure you, my friend, if you'll come back to the altar and bow yourself before a holy God and you get rid of those things and that you begin to rededicate yourself to El Bethel, God of the house of God. Oh, my friend. It'll change your life. So you see his rededication. Coming back to Bethel became a very special, special point in his life. But look what it says in verse 9. You'll notice that as he rededicated his life, there became a great revelation. Then God appeared to Jacob again. When he came for Padan Aram and blessed him. No sooner does Jacob come back to Bethel. What does God do? He appears to him. I like that one word. Don't overlook it. Again. It's like the second chance. God is a God of the second chance. My friend, the devil will tell you if you drift away from God that God is just going to throw you aside and that he has no more use for you. But praise to God, my friend. If you'll come back and you will rededicate and there's contrition and there is convincing in your heart that you want to make the Lord as the Lord of your life. God will reveal to you like he never has before. What a revelation. What a revelation. The devil was a master of trying to keep you away and to get you to think that God cannot and will not revisit you if you'll come back to him. Not so. And so, you, you notice that rededication, and you notice the revelation that he experienced. And now notice here in verse 10 and following, the restoration that took place in his life. 
It says, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. You know what God was doing? God was just reminding Jacob, you're a special person. You're... A seed from Abraham that I promised that I would bless. You're not only a special person, but you're now starting to fulfill a special plan. That nations and kingdoms and kings are going to come from you. Oh, my friend, if we could only get a glimpse how much God wants to bless us. We would race as fast as we could down to this altar. God has a plan. You're special in the eyes of God. I go back and I'm reminded of the number of people that have not always served the Lord, but yet God used them in a great mighty way when they came to Him Maybe the second time. I think about Abraham. Abraham was an idol worshiper at one time. And yet he became what was known as a friend of God. He never imagined that he would be complimented by God. As there he was in the Ur of the Chaldeans serving these false gods. That God had a special plan. That you'll become a friend of mine. I think about Moses. A murderer at one time. And yet God used him to lead the millions out of bondage. Oh, I'm reminded of Joseph. A man that was in prison who became the prime minister of Egypt. I'm reminded of Rahab, the harlot. And yet God visited her and he revealed to her his presence. And she is now in God's hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, friend, I want you to understand that before God's eyes, you're special. And He has a special plan for you. And all oh, if you'll come back to Him, He will reveal that plan in your life. But I want you to see something else. We not only see that the Lord was present, but also we see a love that was portrayed. The Bible says in verse 14, So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him. 
a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. Here's Jacob's response when he came back to the Lord. Here in this passage of Scripture, his love for God was portrayed in three different ways. A rock, a oil, and a drink offering. What does that mean? Jacob was so appreciative of what God had done in his life. The Bible says that he set up a pillar, a rock. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think of a rock in the Bible, what do you think of? I think of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rock of ages, the cornerstone. He was setting up a tribute to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself that He has fallen in love with God's only begotten Son. Oh, my friend, I want you to understand, when you come back to the Lord, And when God visits you, the way that you will be blessed, you'll re-fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ like you have never, ever before. There'll be something about that precious name. When His name is mentioned, there will be, that heart will go that extra beat. When the name of Jesus, you began to recognize that it's the sweetest name above all names. Jesus is King and Lord of Lords. Master over all. But then, he not only had an adoration for the person of Jesus, but he had appropriation for the power of the Spirit. The Bible says he poured all over the rock. All is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was recognizing the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. See, friend, when you come back before the Lord, there will not only be a new appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ, but there you begin to experience what Paul mentions in the book of Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit of God. And that the Spirit of God will be upon your life and there will be an anointing and that God will use you as a vessel to perform great and mighty things for His name. So He not only had an adoration for the person of Jesus, He not only had an appropriation for the awe or the Holy Spirit, but look here. The Bible says that in this passage of Scripture that he poured a drink offering. A drink offering? In other words, his availability to the plan of the Father had become evident. He poured out a drink offering to God. This drink offering was symbolizing that he was pouring his life out to God's will. He was pouring his life out to the Lord as the Lord being Almighty God. 
and that He was number one and that my life is going to be poured out for the cause of the God that I serve. Oh, my friend. Have you been back to Bethel lately? I want to challenge you today. You say, well, I haven't gone out and got drunk and I haven't gone out and committed adultery. I haven't gone out and done this or that or that what we would call great carnality. No, 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 my friend. I want you to understand, you've become carnal sitting in the pew of the church. That's right, Brother Ken, a lukewarm spirit. The Lord says, I'd rather for you to be hot or cold. But to be lukewarm, he said, you makes me sick to my stomach. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Have you been back to Bethel lately? I want to challenge you today. Come on back. Because at Bethel is El Bethel, God of Almighty. And He wants to reveal to you. He wants to restore to you. He wants to renew you. He wants to encourage you. Would you come? Lord Jesus, what an experience Jacob had. What an experience that changed his life forever. Oh, yes, there was that time that he went cold and callous, but oh, he has matured. He came to that point in place where he needed to come back to Bethel. Father, I believe that I'm talking to some people here today needs to come back to Bethel. So may the Holy Spirit of God will just work in their heart, in their life, and encourage them come back to the altar. Father, there may be some here that have never come to Bethel, never experienced the Lord as their Savior. Oh, That is our prayer today. So Lord, as only you can, work in our heart and our lives. In Jesus we pray. Amen.